my son William loves his toys and um, yesterday he came home with these two items uh, and I just thought they were great um, visual aids because the sword these are meant to be Halloween stuff so we're turning them around for, for God so the sword of the spirit of truth that's what we're going to be using this morning that's what we want you to know that you have in your hand and in your heart you have God's word and then well, there's this other item that William brought home the chains and uh, believe it or not he had his he had his dinner with these on him last night <laughs> he's walking around the house with these chains on but you know I just felt it was a great visual aid because why do we come here because we know that when Jesus died he died to take the chains off us and whatever it is that's getting you down or whatever it is that you feel that you're in bondage to God wants to set you free so we're going to throw these things can I throw them over here just out of the way so we're going to we're going to just start off with a, a very quick reminder as to what we had looked at in John's gospel since last September before we were so uh, cruelly cut off in in March uh, we looked at how in the beginning uh, of John's gospel the, the word start off within the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and we compared that to Genesis 1 where it says in the beginning God and so right away we see that Jesus was himself God uh, who had come to earth uh, he was the one who the, he's the word and that means the word is the one who spoke the worlds into existence he, the Bible says he spoke and it was done power in, in the word of God Jesus himself is the word it's one of his names and he was the one who spoke the worlds into existence at the beginning. Jesus, he's our creator. He's our source of life. He's the light of the world who loved you and loved me enough to come into our darkness. And all of that's in John chapter 1. And I'm not going to go through all of John's gospel, but a few things I thought it would be good just to bring to your attention. It says that the word, that's Jesus, became flesh and came to live among us. Now that word live is the same word as tabernacle. And it reminds us of how in the Old Testament, God loved his people so much that when they were trudging through the wilderness, he, he told them to make a tabernacle, or if you like, a big tent. And he was going to live in that tent as they trudged through the wilderness. And so uh, that's what the tabernacle means. And so Jesus came to live, this time not in a tent, but in a human body. He came to live amongst his people. And we need to remember that God loves us so much that he has always wanted to be with us. And he has always wanted to give us the best life. You know, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is the last verse in Psalm 16. And it says that God will show us the path of life. That in his presence, there is fullness of joy. And at his right hand, there are pleasures. Yes, you heard that right. Pleasures. God is a God who knows how to give pleasure, true pleasures forevermore. 
So he's a God straight off who loves us and we, we, we spent a lot of time looking at the tabernacle uh, during the months from, from September up to March. And then it says this, um, this verse in verse uh, John 1 verse 18, it says, No one has seen God but the, the begotten one, or the, the New Living Translation says the unique one, Jesus, Jesus, who himself is God, is near to the Father's heart, and Jesus has revealed God to us. So we see that, that John is all about, about uh, Jesus, about God coming in a body, God coming in flesh. And then in chapter 7, I'm just whizzing through these to get to what we want to speak about today. Chapter 7, we looked, and this ties in, we looked at how Jesus, in chapter 7 of John's Gospel, went up to the Feast of Tabernacles, now that was the time, an, an annual festival, if you like, where they remembered that journey through the wilderness. And uh, even, would you believe it, that even this moment today, the Feast of Tabernacles is being uh, celebrated all across the world, wherever there are Jewish people. And we needn't go into it all because we did some teachings in that way back uh, months ago, and I don't want to go back into it again. But just to remind you, that it was a time uh, of Israel journeying through the wilderness. And uh, during this feast, there's one particular thing that they did, which we, we spent a long time looking at earlier this year. It was a time when the priests came down from the temple uh, with a joyous company of people, with musical accompaniment and people just rejoicing. And he came down carrying a great big golden pitcher. And when he came down to the pool of Siloam, he dipped, he plunged that, that pitcher into the water and he recited the words from Isaiah chapter 12, Therefore with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And all the people rejoiced. And this was a very central part of the Feast of Tabernacles because the Feast of Tabernacles is and continues to be to this very day the most joyful of all the feasts, of all, this, all the festivals that the children of Israel had to keep. And during that feast, uh, it, was, it celebrates and still celebrates harvest time, but it also celebrates the coming of the Holy Spirit. Here's what uh, I, I read somewhere. It says the water symbolized the Holy Spirit, the pouring out of the, the breath of God, in Hebrew, the Ruach, the breath of God is the Holy Spirit. And the Hebrews, the Jewish people, knew that the Holy Spirit was the true source of life. And here's what some of the rabbis said many hundreds of years later, when they, from the time that they first started to do this. The rabbis reflected that he who had not seen the rejoicing at the place of the water drawing had never seen rejoicing in his life. It was a place of tremendous joy. And that's, that's kind of the thrust. Joy is the thrust of what I want to speak about today, about how God wants you and me to be able to experience more joy in our lives. Because I believe that's the secret. What does the Bible say? The joy of the Lord is your strength. And we need strength in these days. And so I just wanted to remind you particularly about that Feast of Tabernacles because when Jesus went up, do you remember what happened? On the last day of that festival, Jesus stood in the open square, in the public square, and it says he cried with a loud voice, if anyone thirsts, 
Remember the water was poured out, the Holy Spirit. If anyone thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. Jesus was standing up. Listen, they didn't realize it. But the God of the Old Testament, the one that they were pouring the water for and shouting out therefore with joy, we will, we will uh, drink the water from the wells of salvation. They didn't realize it, but the God of the Old Testament was standing in front of them in a human body, in a human tabernacle or a human tent, if you like, in flesh. And so that was the Feast of, of, feast of Tabernacles. And Jesus, when he cried out, if you read John 7, let's just read John 7. This is key to what I want to say today, so I'm going to take a moment to do it, because here's what Jesus said uh, from John 7. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This Jesus spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive. This the Holy Spirit is like a river of water that flows out of your heart. It's like a river of joy and the Holy Spirit wants us to know God. And he is the one who, who shows us what God is like. He is the one who comes alongside us to speak to us, to comfort us. And over the next few weeks, God willing that we're able to come back, we'll be looking at how Jesus taught more about this, this as we go through John's Gospel. But uh, uh, one thing I wanted to say as well is that this Feast of Tabernacles that even the, the, across the world right now they're celebrating, that actually that has a, even a futuristic picture. Revelation 21, it says that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and it says that the tabernacle of God is going to come down and dwell with man. Listen, he's going to be with us. We have a future of being with God forevermore. That is our future. So this uh, Feast of Tabernacle is kind of really, really important. And it shows us that God, that God came in a human body, in flesh. And, and, and again, I'm not going to go through this, but if you remember, through the God, John's Gospel, there are at least seven I am statements. We looked at some of them. We looked at I am the light of the world. We looked at I am the bread of life. Those are two things that Jesus said that he was. And on the 10th of March, I wonder does anybody remember what we spoke about on the 10th of March? On the 10th of March, we spoke about how Jesus said, I am the door. And he said, I am the good shepherd. He said, I am the door of the sheep. And I am the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. And then during lockdown, I'm, do, I'm quizzing through this real fast because I'm, I'm working up to something. During lockdown, we, we set out a few short teachings for those of you who got them about how uh, Jesus got the invitation to go to Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Remember, their brother was sick. And when Jesus went to visit them, do you remember what he declared? Another I am statement. I am the resurrection and the life. And then we talked, we sent another one out about Mary and how Mary broke that jar of perfume because she loved Jesus so much. She broke it and poured the anointing perfume over his feet and she did it for his burial. Now, I want you to note that. That was for his burial. Because right through John's Gospel, Jesus was getting closer and closer to the cross. And finally, the last 
teaching, short teaching that I sent out was about Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey in fulfilment of Zechariah's prophecy. Zechariah 9 and 9 says, Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey. And Jane reminded me, uh, she's reminded me quite a few times, so I can't forget this. Isn't it amazing that if you look on the back of a donkey, that there's a mark of a cross? I think that's quite an amazing thing. The mark of the cross is actually on the back of the donkey. And it was a donkey that God chose for his son to ride into Jerusalem as king of the Jews. Remember, they celebrated him one day and the next day they were calling for him to be crucified. Humble, humble king. He was presenting himself as Israel's king, but they refused him. They rejected him. And so we're going to finally get to where we start today. All right, that was just a wee introduction. Can I go eat a drink here? That's the background. Obviously, you couldn't go through all the stories about the woman at the well and and Nicodemus and all of that. We haven't time. We we wouldn't want to go back over that again because we've passed it. But here we come to John chapter 13, and I want to read the first four verses together, because I think that what we're going to look at today is pretty amazing. It says, Before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, The devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. So we're just going to stop there for a few minutes and we're just going to look at this because it's interesting. I, in your notes, I've given you a list there of other Bible references where Jesus said his time had not come. Do you see them there? John 2 and 4 and lots of other references. Because right throughout this gospel, at different points, Jesus said, my time has not yet come. You see, Jesus was living out a time free, out of a, a plan, a divine plan that had a, a a divine time frame. He knew he'd come from the Father, and he knew he was going back to the Father. I I just love this. Can you imagine Jesus leaving heaven and coming down, leaving the Father, leaving everything in heaven, and coming down to this world? But he knows he's going to go to the cross, but he knows he's going back to heaven. In other words, he knew where he came from. He knew who he was and where he had come from. That was his identity, And he knew where he was going. That was his destiny. And I want to say to you ladies that it's really important that we know our true identity, who we are in Christ. When you receive Jesus as your saviour, you are a a born-again believer. You're born again into God's family. The spirit in you that was dead because of sin becomes alive at that moment of salvation. And you are no longer just anybody. You are a child of God. And I want to remind you, just even of that song, that you're no longer a slave to fear. But you are 
a child of God. And it's so important you know who you are. Because if you don't know who you are, you let the enemy just ride roughshaw over you. He'll just let him tell you all the lies and you'll listen to all his lies and you'll live in misery. You need to know who you are in Christ. You need to know that you are a child of God and that God has given you authority. He's given you authority to speak out his word and to depend upon his word and to use it like that sword that we, we had at the beginning. So you need to know who you are, but you need to know your destiny. You need to know that God has a purpose for your life, that he has a mission for your life. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 that we were created for good works that God had planned beforehand that we would work in them. So there's good things for us to do. But you know, beyond that, we have a destiny because we are going somewhere. We're going to be in the new heaven and the new earth. We're going to be with Christ forever. And we need to know that destiny. That takes away fear. When we know who we are and where we're going, it takes away fear. And so I just think it's so, so important that we remember that Jesus knew exactly who he was and where he was going. I just love John, John 3, 16 where he explained to a, a very religious person that God so loved the world that he gave his only beloved son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have, already have it, eternal life. Isn't that just the most amazing truth for us to understand? And it tells us in these verses that Jesus, knowing that the Father had put all things into his hand, having loved his own, he was going to love them to the end. The Amplified says he was going to love them to the highest degree. Do you know that God loves you to the highest degree? That he loves you so much that he sent his son. And Jesus was going to, he was going to see this thing through. He had come with a purpose. He had left heaven and he had come with a purpose and he was going to fulfill that purpose. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 12 that even though he despised the shame of the cross, this terrible shame attached to anybody who, who was nailed to a cross. And the Bible tells us that even though he despised that shame, that he went to the cross, he endured the cross. Why? Because of the joy that was before him. Do you know what, who, what the joy was? It was you and it was me because of his love for us. That God, you see, you need to remember that Jesus was the happiest man who ever lived. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter, uh, chapter 1 and also prophetically speaks about it in, in Psalm 45 that Jesus uh, came from the throne of God. That's what it tells us. But it says that he was anointed with the oil of joy more than anybody else who ever lived. Why was he so full of joy? Because sin, there was no sin in him. It's sin that robs us of joy, ladies. And, and, and Jesus was the most joyful person. He must have been amazing to be around because of the joy that was in him, because of who he was. And he was going to see this thing through. And he was going to do it for you and for me. And so we've got to this place now in verse 4 where he rose from supper. Can you imagine? This is, he knows this is the hour. I, I would love to say to you today that there are many times in our lives when there's certain hours for certain things. And you know, let's believe that this hour, even though it looks so black and so dark, and the enemy's trying to put fear into all of us as to what the future might or might not hold, I want to say to you that this is the day that the Lord has made. 
That's what it says in Psalm 118. We will rejoice and be glad in it. That is our right. That is our privilege as, as women who know Jesus as Saviour and Lord. We can rejoice in this day. And in fact, we can rejoice in every day, even in the painful, difficult times. The supernatural joy that is available to us. We can experience that in everyday life. And so this was the hour. Jesus knew that this was the hour. And it tells us that it was just before Passover. He knew he was going to die at Passover time and, and be the Lamb of God, fulfilling the, the Old Testament where the Passover feast, they, they sacrificed the Lamb every year. He knew he'd be fulfilling the Scriptures. He knew exactly what was in front of him. And yet he was full of joy. And here he is, and he's going to have this meal with his disciples. And it says that he rose from supper. And I'd love you, I'd love you to just use your imaginations. Imagine all these disciples sitting in this room, this upper room with Jesus. Now, we believe in, in Eastern culture that they would have had the, a very low table and they would have all been sitting on the floor around. They wouldn't have been sitting up in nice seats the way you're sitting. They would have been sitting on the floor. And the, the, the way to do it in Eastern culture was that they kind of reclined with their elbow on the table and then ate with the other hand from the table. And that meant that they were kind of back to back and they could easily lean back on the other one as they ate the, the meal together. And can you imagine, as they're all sitting around this table, there's no one there, there's no servant in the room. There's, normally when, when people were going to dine together, there was a slave who would come and, and wash everyone's feet. Remember, they walked all around uh, Israel, all around the, the, the land with these open sandals. Their feet would have been, we would say, they were stinking. And, uh, and there's no slave to get up and wash their feet. So what does Jesus do? Let's just read it. It says, He rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. When I think of Jesus taking off his outer garment, and lifting up this towel to get ready to get down on his knees and to wash the disciples' feet. You know what I, it reminds me of? It reminds me, when he took off the outer garment, it reminds me of how in heaven, before he left, before he packed his bags to go to Bethlehem, before he left heaven, he took off his glory. He took off all the splendor and wonder the Bible talks about ivory palaces. We don't know what heaven was like, but he took it all off him. And he humbled himself, the Bible says in Philippines chapter 2. He humbled himself to come to this, this world of sin. He humbled himself, made himself of no reputation, it says, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. I think when he took the the outer garment off, it was just a picture of leaving behind all the glory. And here he is, and, and he gets down on the floor, and he starts to wash the disciples' feet. Can you, imagine, can you imagine what the disciples felt like? I mean, Peter wasn't really that enamored. Sure he wasn't. He couldn't understand what was happening at all. Let's read what, what Peter said. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? 
Jesus said to him, What I'm doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You will never wash my feet. Jesus said, Peter, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but he is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. Who wasn't clean? We know it was Judas who was about to betray Jesus. I want to just read this to you the way I've written it. Picture this. The creator of the universe laid aside his garment. He took a towel before getting down on his knees and pouring water into a basin. He took the place of a slave and washed the dirty feet of a handful of rough fishermen, a tax collector who had previously been hated by the Jewish community, a few local men from various backgrounds, and a man called Judas who was about to betray him. I want to make the point of this. Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him, but he still washed his feet. Sometimes we think we will love people, but only the people who are going to be good and kind to us. Jesus calls for something higher. Jesus, Jesus was going to wash the feet of his enemy, of the one who was going to betray him. In fact, we're told in John 13 verse 2 that Satan had already put it into the heart of Judas to betray Jesus. The kingdom of darkness was rising up against the kingdom of love and light. You know, Satan didn't know what was going on. He didn't understand what the plan of redemption. He didn't understand what God was really doing. And he thought he was going to, he was going to put it into Judas's heart to destroy Jesus. Little did he know that he was falling into God's plans. You know, I love those verses in the Bible that says that God can turn around what was meant for evil for good. The enemy might be working against you, but God's far wiser and God's far more able and, and God can turn around the worst of things in your life for good. Now, Peter didn't understand, but I just wanted to, to again, to read this because I feel I've, I've said it in a concise way. So I'm going to read it to you. When Jesus was washing his disciples' feet, he was demonstrating that salvation is a once and for all cleansing. And when we get into sin or trouble, when we fail or we, we do things that, that grieve the Holy Spirit, you know, even after we, we become Christians, after we get saved, we still mess up at times. Who knows that? I do. Jesus was teaching that when we get into trouble after salvation, we don't need to get saved all over again. We don't need to have a bath. That's, what he, that's the point he was making. You were, at the moment of salvation, it was like you took a complete bath and you were completely cleansed. But you don't need to get bathed over again. You just need your, fish, your feet washed. That's what Jesus was saying. We don't need to get saved all over again. We just need our spiritual feet washed, so to speak. We're going to talk about Peter next week, but I, I really want to, just for now, I wanted you to notice that, that this act that Jesus did had a profound effect on the, apostle, on the Apostle John. The Apostle John who wrote this, this um, 
this gospel. He was deeply impacted by what Jesus did. He really got it. Do you know how we know he got it? Because as an old man, he wrote these words in 1 John uh, chapter 1, verses 6 to 9. Verse 9 says, If we freely admit to God that we have sinned and we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I think that's, that's the most amazing thing, that we have this means of constant cleansing. Now here's the thing, here's the point I want to make. We're talking about how, how we need to learn how to walk in the joy that God has provided for us. Here's what I want to say to you. When we walk in the light and confess our sin, we experience the joy of living life without condemnation. This opens up the possibility to live in continuing, continuous fellowship or oneness, if you like, with God. And that means that we have the ability to experience the fullness of, God, of joy because we're living without a shadow between us and God. Now, does that make sense to you? That is God's wonderful provision for you and for me, that we can be constantly cleansed. You think you've messed up or you feel you're not close to God, just come and say, Lord, just give me a fresh, just wash my feet again, Lord. Just, just give me a fresh cleansing. And you can know that constant, ongoing sense of his presence. And, at, you know, at times when we even feel, oh, he's not there, we need to, by faith, understand that even if we don't feel him, he's still there. Because he's promised he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. And by faith, we believe that and we can live in this joy. Now, I've been reading a little bit um, of a, from a guy called Dr. Jim Wilder. He's a neurotheologian. In other words, he's someone who has studied the brain, but he's also studied theology. He, he loves God. He loves God's word, but he also knows a lot about the brain. And here's what he says. Joy shouldn't be a secret. It's just too important. Joy is what ignites the process of personal and spiritual transformation. If you're trying to grow or change, joy is the key ingredient that makes change last. He goes on to say, with joy, marriages thrive, couples connect, family members feel seen and valued. With joy, students stay more focused, classrooms become safe havens, teachers and administrators become more creative. With joy, church members are glad to be together, relationships stay bigger than the problems. And uh, he goes on to say that modern science reveals that our brain lights up whenever we know the joy of relationship with each other. The brain actually lights up. I tell you, we are fearfully and wonderfully made, there's no doubt about that. And this, this man goes on to say that scripture demonstrates that joy happens when we recognize and experience that God is with us. Remember that, that time whenever Jesus walked with them on the road to Emmaus after the crucifixion, after the resurrection? It's Jesus, God, walked with the people on the road to Emmaus. And what does it say? Their hearts were actually burning with joy because of his presence. And, and, and Dr. Jim Wilder says that joy is a dynamic relational experience. It is, it, is, it is joy, the essence of joy is where we're able to say we are glad to be together. 
Joy is amplified when two minds that are one are glad to be together and in that moment, joy is real. Joy makes the eyes sparkle and bonds form. And he goes on to say, joy is equally powerful in painful states. We feel it when someone, you know, he gives the example of how whenever we're going through really hard times, when we see somebody that we know loves us and wants to be with us, just to be with it. What, what does the Bible say? Weep with those that weep. Rejoice with those that rejoice and weep that, with those that, that weep. There's even in the midst, and those of you who know the Lord and have come through hard times, and I'm guessing all of you have, do you know there's a supernatural joy that we can experience even in the worst of times? And it comes from a relationship with God and a relationship with each other. And so Jesus had demonstrated how to keep that upward relationship with God, keep it clear and clean, that we can be constantly washed. I want to tell you that I don't think we realize the power of this constant washing. And half time we're feeling, you know, distanced or feeling that we've grieved the Holy Spirit or we're not enjoying our salvation. And half time it's because we haven't gone to Jesus and asked him to wash our feet. Half the time we're carrying condemnation and we're not believing that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. We're not believing that, we, that there's no condemnation, that, that Jesus sees us and he looks on us with love and he is, he is happy to be with us. He loves you. He wants, he loves your company. We don't live in the appreciation of that half time, do we? We think he's afar off and he's looking at us with criticism. He's a God who loves to be with his people. And he wants you to know the joy that there is to be found in his presence. So here's the thing. What did Jesus do? He washed their feet. What did he want them to understand? That when we continue to get that cleansing, that we can experience the joy of living life without condemnation, that we can live in oneness, one with God. We're going to look at this more in a few weeks' time, God willing, as we get to chapter 17 of John's Gospel. Wow, what a chapter that is. But we're going to look at that more then. But here's the thing. Jesus wanted to make sure that disciples understood the fullness of what he had just done. Let me read the next few verses to you. After he had spoken to, um, to, to Simon Peter, it says in verse 12, So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to, to them as the disciples, do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sends him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Just if you glance down to verse 34, it says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you and that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Ladies, Jesus wanted them to understand that, that the way to joyfulness is to live in humility. 
and to love each other and to forgive each other. The way to joy is to become more and more like Jesus. You see, the world's the exact opposite. The world tells you, you know, look out for yourself, forget about everybody else, walk over the top of everybody and it's your right and you have rights and you go for those rights. That's not the way of happiness. That actually leads to unhappiness. God's ways are not our ways. And God's way is to forgive. Jesus washed the feet of the man who was going to betray him. Jesus wants us to rise up above the unforgiveness that so often keeps us in chains. Jesus wants us to love those who despise us, those who don't treat us well. He wants us to love them anyway. And you know what happens? We begin to feel good because we are in line with heaven and in line with each other. And so I believe it's really important that we, we listen to this. I read this the other day. It was just my daily reading for Sunday. Sorry, it was actually yesterday. And here is what it says. I just happened to be on John 13. I couldn't believe this whenever I read it yesterday. Spend some time thinking about all the ways that God has loved you. How he has been patient with you when you keep making the same mistakes, when you forget something he already taught you years ago, when his grace covers the things that you couldn't, wouldn't, or didn't think, do, or say. How he has restored what was lost, repaired what was broken, reconciled what was out of sorts, and redeemed your past. Think about how much you depend on God to heal and forgive, even when you know you don't deserve it. Think about the mysteries of grace, always unmerited, but always enough. Now, if that's how God has loved you, then that's how you are called to love others. Jesus said so in John 13, and he reiterates it here, calling it a new commandment on both occasions. Love itself isn't a new commandment, of course. Jesus and quite a few other teachers had already pointed out that, they should, that we should love our neighbour. This was a pretty important concept in all of the ancient laws of the Old Testament. But here, loving others in the same way that God has loved you, that's different. It's radical, sacrificial, thoroughly imbued with grace and compassion, exactly the sort of thing that he was illustrating when he put on the garments of a servant and washed his disciples' feet. Your mission in life is not merely to receive the love of God, as wonderful as that part of the gospel is, but also it's to demonstrate that love. It's to love with the extravagance that God has shown in loving you. You see, when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he was showing, th he was showing two things. He was showing how to live with an uninterrupted, open, open connection with heaven, but he was also showing how we could live with an open connection to each other. That we wouldn't be holding grudges, that we wouldn't be uh, hating each other, that we wouldn't be holding on to unforgiveness, but that actually we would learn to do what God does for us. We would forgive each other. So in, a, in effect, we would be having an open pathway to heaven and an open pathway to each other. What shape does that make? It makes the cross. You see, that is central to everything that you and I do. And, and I believe that as we finish up here today, I believe that God wants to teach us something. 
that there is a joy in life to be experienced. And it's not going to be by fighting to get our own way. And it's not going to be by holding on to unforgiveness. There's a joy to be found that releases us from bondage. There's a joy to be found, and here's the way it's found. It's by constant washing of our feet so that we have an open... I've written in your notes that when Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, he was showing them how to keep the lines of love, joy, and friendship opened with heaven. And when he told them to wash each other's feet, he was showing them how to keep the lines of love, joy, and friendship open with each other. These two things are the secret of true joy. You know, when John the Apostle wrote 1 John 1, and he wrote, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. That's the, that's the connection this way. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. That's the connection this way. That's the secret. That's the secret of actually being free. Not holding grudges. It's holding on to stuff like that that actually makes us miserable and we don't even know it. We think we're, it's my right. And you know what? We're just causing ourselves pain. God wants us to know the freedom of being able to love those who don't love us. He wants us to know the experience of joy and freedom. And right now, as people all over the world are celebrating the, the Feast of Tabernacle, and you know what they do? They make these little booze. They make up all kinds of shapes and sizes of little plates. Sometimes make it up with uh, like a little booth outside, or sometimes in their balcony, you'll see people in New York, and they make these little places where they go out and spend some time in just to remember what it was like to travel through the wilderness. Here's what I want to say to you. We're in a wilderness situation. <laughs> this world in so many ways is just like a wilderness. It can be really pretty tough at times. But you know what? God knows the way through the wilderness. And you know what? God wants to be with you in the wilderness and he wants to give you even joy in the wilderness. He wants you to know what it is to experience his supernatural joy and his supernatural love. He is a mighty God. And here's the thing. As the tabernacle travelled through the wilderness, there was the, the big tent, and then there were the 12 tribes, and there was three tribes had to, had to camp at either side of the building. So can you imagine there's a big building in the middle, and up in the north end there was certain tribes, and they camped all in exactly the correct position on one end. Then the other end, again, three different tribes all camped on this end. Then this way, Again, three tribes on this side and three this way. And if you had been driving, not driving, if you had been flying, they didn't have Boeing jets in those, in those days, but if you'd been in one of them big airplanes and you'd been flying over and you were able to look out the window, you're just taken off in a big Boeing jet and you just looked down over the, out the window as you were flying over the tabernacle, do you know what you would have seen in the desert? You would have seen the shape of a cross. Do you know that God has marked the shape of the cross, even on the donkey's back? Even as he flew over in a, in, a, in a big plane and you looked down in the desert, that's what you would have seen. Why? Because it was speaking of something greater. It was speaking about how God was going to come to earth in the person of his son. And he was going to live, or the word live is the same as tabernacle. He was going to tabernacle with his people and he was going to go to the cross 
to pay the price for sin so that we could be with him, so that we could know the joy that comes from being in the presence of God, so that we could experience what it's like to live for God and to experience the joy of the Lord to be our strength. Do you know, this is the most joyful feast. It's the last feast. It's the one that speaks of the end of times. Passover is the first one and Tabernacles is the last one. And you know what it speaks of? It speaks of the new heaven and the new earth. Listen, girls, it's closer than ever it was. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And you know, somebody sent me uh, yesterday a text and it was a little picture of the, uh, from, the, from the Jewish person, that, that a friend of mine, we have a friend who lives in Jerusalem who's a Jew, and she'd sent this little, this little text, and it was uh, to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. And it said that this is the only, my friend had sent this wee message, this is the only feast that the Word of God, the Torah, Deuteronomy 16, actually commands that the people have to be happy. It's a joyous feast. Listen, I tell you, we need to lighten up. Because no matter, even in the worst of times, I'll tell you, I know what it's like to go through hard times, but I'm telling you that there is a joy that comes from God whenever we truly get this line opened and this line opened. I'll tell you, it opens up the secret of living a life of joy. And the joy of the Lord is, without doubt, your strength. And you and I need it. Do you know, there's something about just knowing and counting on God's presence. There's something about realizing that God's right beside you, that he's right at your right-hand side. I spoke to somebody a few days ago who was in in a bit of turmoil, and you know, whenever I prayed that prayer that God was right there beside her, you know, she told me afterwards something shifted. All the fear and turmoil just left when she realized that God was right there at her right hand. You know, God loves to be with you. He's promised he'll never leave you nor forsake you. You know, as I go around the house, uh, particularly in the evenings, William just is on my tail. Every minute I turn around, he's right there. Last night I wanted a bit of peace to try and get this, but he was just there. And if I go and get into bed, he comes and gets into the bed beside me. Why? Because he loves me. Because he wants to be with me. He does the same with Jane. You have a God who loves you. He loves you so much, he wants to be with you. And he wants you to be joyful. He wants... Dr... Dr. Jim Wilder says that joy is being with someone and knowing that that person wants to be with you. God wants to be with you. He wants you to be joyful in his presence. He wants you to know that he's not angry with you, that he has paid the price so that everything can be washed off you and you're free. You're not supposed to carry any old rubbish that weighs you down. You're not supposed to listen to those lies of the enemy and let them and dress yourself with lies. You have to wash that stuff off you. You belong to God. And he wants you to have open friendship with himself. I wanted to sing this song. I know it's an old-fashioned song, but sure, hey, I'm an old-fashioned girl. It's an old-fashioned song. I was, William and I were going to Tesco's on Saturday. And this just came on the phone. I had the phone in the, in the car going. And this, just, this song just happened to come in. It's a really old one, one that I would have known in my, when I was a teenager. It's an old-fashioned song. Do you know I played it over and over again? Do you know why? Because the words hit my heart. Oh, love that will not let me go. God will not let you go. He loves you too much. I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe. 
that in thine ocean depths flow may, may, may richer fuller be. The last verse says, O oh joy, you seek me through the pain. I cannot close my heart to thee. I trace the rainbow through the rain and feel the promise is not vain. That morn shall tear, tearless be. Listen, what's happening around us right now, it's really not that big a deal. Yes, we come through sorrows and difficulties, but you know what? We're meant to keep the communication going this way as well as that way. We're meant to comfort each other and encourage each other. We're meant to, we're meant to have that joy even in sorrow together. And we're meant to have that link with heaven that just releases the joy of the Lord as our strength. I'd love you to sing this. Um, you have to put your masks on, I'm afraid, whilst we're singing. But you can sit where you are or stand or whatever you want to do. But we're going to sing this really old-fashioned song. And we're going to remember that, that the joy of the Lord can seek us and reach us even in the toughest of circumstances. Thank you for being here. And Lord, I just pray that you, you would just anoint this word, that it might reach into all our hearts and that we might remember how wonderful you are. That we would remember the power of the cross and remember what you've done for us and remember that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Amen.